I literally just felt like there was a weight lifted off my shoulders. Like, it was strange to finally live without that dysphoria and constantly feel like I was focusing on something on my body to feel like I was actually able to breathe properly was such a, you know, such a blissful moment. Like when I woke up in hospital, it was just like, it's done. From Women's Health Australia, this is Uninterrupted, a podcast where we chat about all aspects of health and well-being so that you can live a happier and healthier life. I'm Lisa Gebilagin. AJ Clementine always knew she was a girl. The problem was she'd been born in a shell that looked on the outside like a perfect little boy. In her teens, this conflict between her outer and inner selves exploded, igniting years of anxiety and panic attacks. She then documented her gender transition on social media, and AJ gained millions of followers as she became a passionate advocate for transgender rights and the celebration of gender expression. In this chat with our junior writer, Brooke Young, the TikTok superstar model and author of a new book, Girl Transcending, discusses everything from what it was like going to school where teachers didn't know which bathroom she should use, to having super supportive parents who encouraged her to explore her identity. She also talks about the daunting prospect of having gender confirmation surgery and then the relief she felt when she finally had it done. So, you know, you have a really inspiring and personal story that you chose to share with your social media followers, which is amazing. And so it kind of makes sense for us to take a step back and begin with your childhood you know so how would you describe the way you grew up whenever I like to describe like my childhood I always think of it to just be very like imaginative and very dreamlike I was a kid that was always playing you know by myself or just having a whole different look on life and I was very immersed into a lot of things I would watch and just all the different universes and worlds that you know movies provide for us books give to us and I kind of found comfort in that and I found a safe space in all of those kind of realms and I guess when I look back at my childhood it's just I had so much comfort in that and I genuinely like love what I did as a child and navigated the things I felt inside and dealt with them in the best way that I could, even though I was so confused and didn't know what was really happening. I was very naive. I generally thought that I would just develop like every other girl and <laughs> life would just all make sense. But obviously when I got to my teen years, it was, that was creeping up. Everything just kind of like hit and it was kind of like childhood is over. Like, the, you know, the, the world I've created in my head is not real and it just kind of shook me a bit and... I guess now being an adult, it's all about unlearning all of that kind of tension and all the things I bottled up from the media and society in terms of how I viewed myself and how I separated myself from my childlike innocence and how naive I was. And I'm kind of recreating that now and realizing that how I felt and how I looked at the world and myself as a child was how it should be. (laughs) 
gosh, I bet we'd all like to go back to a time in our childhood when life was so much more, you know, free and unencumbered. and Exactly. You know, just a lot more dreamlike. Now, you and I, AJ, are about the same age. And I know for me at school, there was never much talk around gender identification and LGBTQI plus people and experiences. And so I was just wondering, what was your time at school like? My experiences were there was some really weird situations and then there was some moments that I guess some adults did have some info and they did try their best to try and make me feel safe as possible. But there were some defining points that really did shape my mindset as a kid and kind of shook me a bit because I just felt that the kids didn't really care. Kids kind of had their own perceptions, but at the end of the day, like, as long as, you know, kids see other kids happy, there's like, there's, you know, there's nothing really else to it. They don't really intentionally want to hurt you unless, you know, it's like, they, it's just kids are pure in that sense. Um, and they're not born evil and they're not, you know, it's uh, hate is learnt and you can see that happen as like kids get older, but, um, yeah, adults took a huge, like role in how I felt about like myself and my identity because at home I was allowed to do whatever I wanted. Like my mom let me dress up in her clothes and my mom let me wear her makeup and she let me express how I truly felt on the inside and she understood those emotions I had, even though she didn't really understand them herself. Like she didn't have much info and she just let me feel comfortable and have my own toys, have my room the way I wanted it to have um, and how I wanted my room to be. And it just, it, there wasn't any questions. There was never any doubt or any like, you know, are you sure you're doing the right thing? And the only time it kind of flipped was at school. And when teachers would question it, would tell my parents and would always try and separate me from my group of friends. I surrounded myself with all girls and I just felt like I was one of them and they never treated me any different, but the teacher's, would always remind the girls and myself that there was a difference and that, you know, they should stop being my friend or just, you know, think about what they're doing. And they would tell me this. And it was just such a weird thing to navigate as a kid to be like, why is an adult saying this? Like, why does an adult interfere with, you know, just being a child? Like, why did they care so much? And like, it just felt so weird to try and understand that. And I guess moving on to like high school life as well, like there was lots of confusion and very little understanding. And I didn't really know much as well about myself. But when you look at the media around that time, it's totally like understandable of why people felt the way that they did towards gender expression and trans people in general because it was literally just the butt of the joke. It was, you know, it was comical. It was something that was, you know, not to be treated as real. It was the villain in all the stories. It was, you know, it was never something serious. So the adults would treat that as something as lighthearted and not really anything, you know, to do with who I was the person down 
down to my core because even when like I had little moments where I was kind of struggling and I didn't know what to do, I would like, for example, when it came to sports, we had to like change and there was the male and female changing rooms. I would never use the the male changing rooms because it was just like, it was just so uncomfortable to be in those rooms. So I just use the restrooms and because it was just like I was so embarrassed by using the restrooms I would always use the restroom of of like another year level so that no one really knew who I was um, at like being in the high school in a big school and it created this confusion because I would go into the restroom and these kids that didn't know who I was would tell the teachers that there was a girl using the boys restroom as a joke and um, it was just such a weird thing to try and like go through. Cause it was just like, I was literally just trying to do the best that I could with what I was told to do. And then yet it was, you know, it was becoming a conflict for other people. And, you know, these boys generally thought that like, there was just a short haired girl trying to use, you know, just trying to use the boys restroom as a joke. You know, they, they didn't know what was happening. They didn't know like how I identify. They, they just literally thought, you know, and it wasn't something that I was like, oh, like they thought that I was a girl. It kind of it felt good because I was, you know, I was at my identity and I wasn't actually truly transitioning in terms of hormones and like anything medically. It was all just social. I was growing out my hair. I was starting to wear makeup and introducing little feminine things into my appearance. So when, it, when the teachers pull me up on it, they're just kind of like, didn't really know how to react. They were just like, well, it's kind of on you. <laughs> like, it's like, it's kind of your issue because like you're kind of doing the things to yourself. So they kind of were just like, mm, well, nail polish isn't allowed. Like no one's allowed to wear nail polish. So you should be taking that off first. And I understood that, but yet they kind of just focused on the fact that, you know, it was me and I was kind of just like, okay, but like there's still every single other girl that's wearing nail polish and like you kind of, yeah, you're kind of fixating on me in this moment. Um, I wore like this headband to school as well and they kind of thought that was a part of it and they're like, maybe don't wear the headband because like it's, they could be confused by that. And I was like, what? Like, what do you mean? Um, I'm literally just wearing this headband because I am obsessed with Blair Waldorf. Like, <laughs> um, and yeah, exactly. And yeah, it was just kind of like they were just pinpointing things with my appearance. And it was just like, what, do you want me to take like my facial features off? Is that too, you know, too feminine for you as well? Because it's just, what did you want me to do? And they just didn't know. Like they were just like, you could, well, you could just use the, you know, the teachers off um, um, toilets and we can give you access to that. And that was kind of the solution. And I was just like, well, that kind of feels weird. Like you're giving me a whole other bathroom just because of who I am. <laughs> and so you don't have to deal with the situation. And yeah, it just made me look at everything so differently. And I know that that's not really happening anymore. Like it's changed so much and people just educated and understand everything so much better. But yeah, it was such a weird thing to be a part of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I can only imagine. Now, it sounds as though you had a lot of big questions in that time that you wanted answered and not everyone could give you the 
advice or the help that you needed. So who did you turn to in that time or where did you turn to and what kind of conversations were you having? Well, I definitely like turned to the internet around that time. Like there was lots of negative stuff, but there was some forums and a few YouTube videos where trans people did talk about their experience. And I kind of, you know, held on to that. And I was finding so much new information each day. And there was a point where like my English teacher at the time, like he handed me a news article of Kim Petrus going through gender confirmation surgery at 16. And I never knew that was a thing. So the fact that he crossed that, you know, that barrier and just literally saw that I probably needed that news article for some reason he just cut it out of his like newspaper and just like slipped it to me and I was just like oh well this is a thing like I didn't know that you could ever have this done and I kind of just took home and researched it studied Kim Petrus and everything that she you know went through and just thought that like I could have this like I'm not in Germany but maybe it's a possibility to find out a way to have that done so I kind of kept that inside me and just like mentally stored that and didn't tell anyone about that situation until now. And one of my close friends at the time, she she had like lots of info sh- about like trans people and she kind of was like immersing herself into that, um, that like knowledge and just understanding trans people a bit better. And she saw lots of lots of similarities with what I was doing. And she kind of would bring it up a few times with me and just kind of wanted me to talk about my experience. Um, but she was always doing it in like a way that didn't overwhelm me. And, you know, I felt like that was very, like it was very needed in that point because I literally had no one that I thought would understand. I didn't know anybody that was trans. I didn't know anyone really who was in the um, LGBTQI plus community as well. Um, It was very difficult because, you know, lots of people around the time I was in high school would either keep it a secret or they would be, you know, one of the popular girls, which you don't, they're not really approachable and you just, you just don't know what to do and you just can't really ask anybody like how they feel and just, you know, just feel so alone. So she kind of just asked me a few times if I was trans and like how I like want to go about it. Like how do I want to start transitioning and just the transitioning aspect. And when she would mention transitioning felt so lengthy and that I could never achieve it. So I always would just kind of be on edge and be like, Oh, can we not talk about it? Like, I don't want to talk about it. And she would just kind of like, you know, put a bookmark on it and be like, okay, when you're ready, then, you know, let's just chat. Yeah. And I guess like from there onwards, like just around her, it's like, I'd always feel more comfortable. Like when we'd have sleepovers, like I'd literally just, you know, just wear feminine clothing, the the clothes I want to wear, like dresses. I would start like playing around with wigs and just, we would always just be crazy in that kind of sense and just let, you know, who I'm kind of seeing myself as like come free and just kind of let that um, play out without any judgment. It did feel like a part of like a role that I was playing in that moment. But then I kind of realized that the role that I was truly playing was trying to be a boy, which that was the role that it was like, 
you know, I was getting too good at, which wasn't, you know, something that I was actually real at the end of the day, because, you know, my friend at the time, she was just, you know, she saw how much happy I was when we had those moments and we would just, you know, we would just talk about it and just, she would do my makeup and would just do each other's makeup. And it was just those moments that really did affirm my gender identity, even though she probably didn't know that she was doing that or like, it just, it was just like a unspoken kind of um, connection. Well, it sounds like whether she knew it or not, she was a huge support for you in that turbulent time. Mm -hmm. Now you talk about gender confirmation surgery. Can you run me through the process of that? Because I imagine it's quite a large and daunting surgery to go through. So can you kind of talk me through when you realised you wanted to get it and then what steps you had to go through to actually you know, make that successful transition. Yeah, so definitely once I saw the news article of Kim Petras when I was around 15, 16, I just 100% knew that was something I was going to get done. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I was going to do it. And I just researched about it, like people's experiences, how painful it is, like what what's the recovery like, all that kind of stuff. And once I turned 18, I just kind of, started to like go head first into transitioning medically because you know at the time luckily now you weren't allowed to transition medically unless you went and had um family court approval which was just you know so, such a stupid process to have to validate someone by going to court so it just felt scary to me as a teen. So I was just like, you know, I'll just wait until I was 18, which I kind of regret that I did do that. Um, because like puberty is just, you can't reverse puberty. And that's literally what a transition transition is trying to do is like prevent puberty and also to try and reverse the effects of puberty. But once I turned 18, I was just like, need to go see a doctor started to go about the whole like process and to just get hormones. And then I also brought up with my doctor that I want to gender confirmation surgery and I didn't know how to get it and I don't know what to do and she was just like well there's someone here in Melbourne that does it and he's a really good surgeon and you know I will get you in contact and I was just like wow it was that easy like I I thought I was gonna (laughs) yeah I thought I was gonna have to go somewhere travel to a new country like all of this kind of stuff I didn't know it was so accessible and um I mean you know I met with the the surgeon and He was just, you know, so informative and he was just, you know, knew what he was talking about and just, it was just felt like I was literally in another universe. I didn't, I didn't think that this was possible, but it was actually possible. So it was also strange, but um, I, once I saw him, I told my parents and I was just like, well, I saw a surgeon and I want to get the surgery done with him. And they were just like, huh, wait a second. Mm-hmm. When- Step back. <laughs> yeah, they're like, when did you want the surgery? And then like all this kind of stuff like that. And they're just asking questions and they just were, they kind of, they knew that that was something that I wanted to do eventually, but they didn't realize it was something I wanted so soon. And literally from 18 onwards was all about just saving up money 
for the surgery because it's not a cheap surgery and Medicare here in Australia does cover some of it, which is only like 10%. So it's a very small amount. Like when I started that whole process, it felt, you know, it felt so weird to me because it was bittersweet. It was like, I needed the surgery, but my whole life was focused around it. Like every single penny, every single thing that I saved in terms of working around that time just went to the surgery and I didn't actually live. Like when I think of my like my life from 18 to 22 when I actually got the surgery is that all I remember was literally working and trying to save money for the surgery. And and it's just, a, it's just one of those sad realities for trans people sometimes because it's just like their transition is not everything and it shouldn't be their life. It shouldn't be or anything they really live for because it can get really depressing in that sense and you know you can live outside of your transition but I guess like for me it was just like I was so worked up on that and I felt like you know I wanted to get it as soon as possible so I didn't really want to you know I couldn't really risk not focusing on it and I felt like I didn't want to be like get go through my 20s and still not being able to have it because I didn't save enough money and all that kind of stuff so I just kind of went you know I need this ASAP and I told my surgeon that like we need to you know book in a date and that date I'm gonna make sure I have the money and like that was it. I had no choice um yeah, like a financial plan yeah exactly so yeah that's basically the process so what kind of advice would you give to families who are going through something similar, you know, not only the child who's thinking about transitioning, but also the parents. So what kind of conversations do you think need to be had between the parties to make sure it's a smooth and safe, inclusive transition? I guess just for like a parent's standpoint is just to know that like, you know, like I said, these things, are essential. It's literally not a choice for trans people to, you know, need these certain things. Like it's, it's our treatment in order to alleviate our gender dysphoria and how we go about it is our own. Like there's, there's nothing to really compare it to. We can't copy someone else's transition and we can't compare it to the next. So just literally being a source of support is so important. And whether that is, you know, by literally being there or like vocally or, or like, you know, helping to contribute to the funds of the transition, like anything and any kind of support whatsoever is it, it's all needed. It's, it's all helpful. And trans people really need that, especially when we're still in a time where it's like, they have to do everything alone. The whole process is alone and it's daunting, you know, seeing the doctor alone, seeing therapists alone, like having to get everything approved alone. It's yeah. Especially when you're young. Yeah, exactly. It just feels, it feels literally like you're just constantly running on this race with no one else around you. And you know, there's literally no one to help. So after this life-changing surgery, how did you feel? You know, what kind of thoughts were going through your head? What kind of emotions were running through you? Tell me about what happened afterwards. I literally just felt like there was a weight lifted off my shoulders. Like 
it was strange to finally live without that dysphoria and constantly feel like I was focusing on something on my body to feel like I was actually able to breathe properly was such a, you know, such a blissful moment. Like when I woke up in hospital and was just like, it's done. I just literally just, the first thing I did was just sit there with a tub of ice cream and a nurse gave me and was just like crying into the ice cream and was just like, you know, it was just happy tears. Like it was just like, I was, all I was thinking about was the fact that I'm going to leave this hospital. I'm going to heal. And I'm just literally going to live my life how I needed from the get go. And just thinking about all these little things like peeing was different because, you know, I was, wasn't, you know, dysphoric in the terms of being disgusted by the body part that I had before and constantly reminded by it. Cause it was literally days where I would just, you know, forget that I was trans and go to the bathroom and then be like, crap, like I wasn't, you know, I wasn't born cis. I wasn't born the way that I actually feel deep down in like every part of my body. And it was just a constant reminder to, to have that literally gone was such a freeing feeling because I didn't actually realize how much it took my energy and how much it was controlling my life up until the point that it was gone. (laughs) Well, I can imagine that must have been a pretty euphoric time for you and just a massive weight off your shoulders. But taking a step back, you speak about how in the lead up to your surgery, the thoughts were all consuming and so what kind of things did you put in place to make sure that you really looked after your mental health and checked in with yourself? I guess I just really did focus and hone into my passions and around that time it was like you know creating content even though there wasn't really anybody watching them. Um, I was making YouTube videos and was just really you know, immersing myself in that. I was documenting my transition and just was, and it felt good to talk to someone, even though I was just talking to a camera and I kind of just, you know, even though I've removed most of those videos off offline, um, I just, I kind of appreciate the fact that I did do that because I literally have documentation of how far I've come. And, you know, I highly recommend anybody who's in, you know, a transitional kind of point in their life, whether it is if you're trans or if you're just literally going from, you know, one point to another to document it for yourself, because it's, we live in a time where you can literally just start recording. And I know it feels like you literally have come so far, even though it was just a few years ago, and you kind of just see how much you've changed in terms of not only how you look, but how you speak and the way that you carry yourself. And I think it's a very special moment to have that realization with yourself. And I guess from the time me putting my energy into that, like was kind of very therapeutic and it actually helped me because it just kind of put me in this mindset to focus on something else that wasn't just, you know, my dysphoria and how I felt day to day. And I guess, you know, the surgery really did that for me. Well, you say you had no one watching your YouTube, but you now have a huge social media following, so you must have been doing something right. Yeah. And now you can add author to that long list of credentials. Yeah. So what inspired you to write your new book, Girl Transcended? I guess definitely just like what 
I said earlier was the lack of visibility and how difficult it was for me to navigate the world with the such a warped creation of how people saw trans people throughout the years and in history and how the media really did influence the way that we treat trans people because it influenced me. It created so much transphobia within myself. Like I internalized so much of it, which is why when my friend addressed it with me, I was like, no, like, that's really gross. Like, why would you say that? Like, it was very, it was very apparent that like, we all had those feelings and you had to really crack through and take the step to educate yourself in order to unlearn all of it. And my book really is that sense of empathy and compassion in, you know, a story in my actual narrative that conveys that where it puts a person to the trans story and the trans, you know, that trans trope and it kind of debunks it and it kind of gives it life, which we never really had. And I guess now, like, especially with the content I create, like the fact that it resonates with so many, you know, people, it just, I guess it kind of emphasizes that. And that's what the book literally resembles is the fact of like, no matter who you are, we all have similar experiences, but visibility and representation is just so important. Yeah, and I've actually had a look through your book and it's so colourful and bright and fun <laughs> and just a really enjoyable and enlightening read. Now, naturally, health and beauty are very important aspects of your life as they are on your social media. So I was just wanting to know, what does your daily self-care routine look like? Definitely with like my beauty routine, I really like it to be as simple as possible. Like I do love a bit of rose oil like day and night. And I, I guess just, I've kind of made it a pact with myself to wear less foundation and anything that kind of um, adds a layer on the skin because um, and I felt like I did so much of that at the, the, early times of my transition to try and, you know, wear as much makeup possible to feel more feminine. And I guess I'm kind of at a point now where it's like, I use makeup not to appeal to like the male gaze anymore. And I kind of use it to appeal to myself and be more creative. So a lot of the times it's like, I'm not covering, I'm more so creating. And it's a simple approach to my beauty routine because removing that has helped like my skin so much more and it's just it's made me be able to focus on other things and it's just made me kind of embrace certain features as well that I tried to cover up on my face goodness I haven't had I think I've forgotten how to put makeup on because I haven't had to do it for so long (laughs) yeah (laughs) but speak to me about fitness again a very important part of your regime what does your exercise routine look like? Um, so I, outside of lockdown, I do a lot of bar and I go to bar classes, which is like a fusion of like ballet and um, Pilates, which I really do love. That's my favorite way to work out. So at home, I've literally just been doing that 
with home classes and okay um, like online classes yeah I've been doing with balance by Bianca and she's a really great instructor so I've been doing her bar classes and yeah I just feel like having that is so essential because you know it's like it's so difficult to try and feel motivated around being in lockdown and whether you want to do the same walk again or try and just get out something to just get so repetitive so you know finding some an exercise that you enjoy is really important because you know you just instantly feel good afterwards absolutely and what about mental fitness I imagine you have a very dynamic and crazily busy (laughs) schedule so what kind of things do you do to relax and make sure you stay grounded and positive yeah I guess definitely my partner Ryan like has a huge role in that like we always just kind of like disconnect and spend time together to you know whether sit in silence which is really therapeutic just to do that or um we'll just whether we'll just read together in the same room we like to just you know do things together but then also not interacting which I feel like it's also comforting at the same time if you kind of have that dynamic with your partner and when we do come together and actually do things together like watch something or watch a show that we want to just binge together and we'll just have a whole day of doing that you know having snacks and stuff like that and like no social media just disconnected full in the zone and discussing what we're watching um it's just those little things that I guess you know I love and as part of my personality to be able to just have those discussions about things that you know we we like and games we like as well and just literally doing that outside of social media and being consumed by that because you can literally just sit well I could literally just sit on my phone for like a whole day scrolling and you know you just lose so much hours and it just like doesn't feel like it's rememberable like you won't look back at it and be like oh like I was productive (laughs) yeah not necessarily quality time yeah exactly so I imagine as a content creator time away from your phone must be so important you must yeah. have to be so disciplined yeah exactly I'm always just like I'm working I'm always telling Ryan like I'm still working like I'm just scrolling I'm scrolling for a few hours but I'm not still working <laughs> yeah so. you need to confiscate your phone <laughs> yeah <laughs> and just to wrap up AJ if you had to leave us with one message about your journey and your life now what would it be I'd say that life is just literally it's it's not a race and we don't need to compare to the next person. Like you can literally go about it at your own pace. And whenever you're ready, you have the power to do what you want to do at any point in time. There isn't a time limit. There isn't a certain age where you can do certain things. So just, yeah, take it as it comes and just know you're not supposed to have all the answers. Well, thank you, AJ. There are some pretty profound words to live by. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time out to chat with us. Uh, It's been great. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll catch you later. Bye. Thank you, AJ, for such a beautiful and honest chat. If you or someone you know needs support regarding any of the issues explored today, lgbtiqhealth.org.au is one good place to start And transcendaus.org is another for parents and carers who have a trans or gender diverse child. 
This episode of Uninterrupted was hosted and produced by Brooke Young. For more from us, pick up a copy of the latest issue of Women's Health with Gabriella Brooks on the cover or head to womenshealth.com.au. I'm Lisa Gabby-Lagan, Editor-in-Chief. See you next time.